those fun things where we're just like chatting and we don't know that the podcast now that, started? That happened. Wait, didn't that already happen once? No. This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. And welcome to Better Late Than Never, a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, a cult favorite, or an otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. After we watch the movie, my guest will decide, if it was better late, that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. And this week... We are continuing with Terry Gilliam Month, and we're going to be watching 12 Monkeys from 1995. I am joined by two guests this week. First, we have returning guest Josh. Josh, how you doing? Live from North Cambridge, it's Saturday afternoon! And you will be filling the uh, Terry Gilliam superfan role for us today? Correct. All right, and then also joining us in the left corner, in the blue trunks, we have Aaron. <laughs> uh, what's up, Aaron? What's going on? I don't have a clever intro like Josh, so Makes hi. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, uh, cool. Damn. Um, and so, Aaron, you are our guinea pig today. You have not seen 12 Monkeys. Nope. All I right. have not. I'm excited to see it, though. Well, cool. Well, I guess to get things started, oh, and- uh, just for the sake of letting you all know, I have seen 12 Monkeys. So, Aaron, you're the only one here who hasn't seen it, which means all the attention is on you today. Wonderful. Aaron, why haven't you seen 12 Monkeys? Really good question. Um, so it came out, I was thinking about it earlier, it came out in 1995, and mm. I think when it first came out, I was like a preteen um kind of more into seeing movies like Titanic than I was into seeing, you know, cool guy Terry Gilliam flicks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but then it still seemed to slip through the cracks in my later years as well. Like I went through a whole post-apocalyptic movie phase sort of daily in college and I watched a lot of really kind of obscure shit like A Boy and His Dog and The Atomic Cafe and I still never ended up seeing 12 Monkeys. Do you like Terry Gilliam? I do. I love Brazil. Cool. Uh, I know he's involved with uh, Monty Python, but to be honest, I'm not too familiar with uh, that part of his work. He did a lot of their animation, so like the foot squishing people. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Not my favorite part of Monty Python, if we're being honest. Okay. Well, I do like his weirdness. And I'm excited to see this movie. I think, I, I don't know, I think later it was almost 
it wasn't obscure enough for me in college. Right. Um, It was a little too mainstream. Yeah. Like, I still actually also haven't seen Mad Max. You don't have to see the first Mad Max, because I've watched half of it, and it's not a particularly good film. All right. Let's let's not go down that road, hey, quite yet. Erin, apart from doing it for the pod, though, were you even interested in seeing this movie? I absolutely was. I've been waiting and waiting to watch this movie because you schedule podcasts like 10 years in advance. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to like it so that I can then engage uh, in the series that I understand is now out about the movie. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about the series. Oh, we're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. The series is great. So does this movie have any sort of reputation? Have you heard much about it? Got any hype? I don't know. I feel like it, it kind of just gets thrown into conversations like, oh, like 12 monkeys. But nothing, honestly, that sticks out particularly. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's fine. All right. Well, we already know you know who directed it. But, um, Aaron, what do you think this movie is about? Well, I think it's post-apocalyptic. Okay. I, I, I know if we're talking just about things that I know about it, I know that Brad Pitt is in it and I know he plays like a, a wacky, uh, character. Wacky character. Okay. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't know this bef- uh, until recently. It was spoiled for me that Bruce Willis is also in this movie. <gasps> yeah, I brought the DVD over today and I left it on the table. You idiot! And rarely, I think, do you actually, I mean, I've, all the pods I've done, I think we've streamed the, the movie at hand. So to have the tactile DVD is a very special thing, but it also, as DVDs do, has the stars plastered on the cover. Yeah, the one time we were we resort to physical media and look what happens. And honestly, this, I've had this DVD since college. It is over 10 years old. So who knows if it even works? It's vintage. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, with the addition of Bruce Willis, I feel like there may be some action-y sort of aspect to it. Um, I don't know what kind of character he would play, but... I feel like it would be some sort of rogue detective or private eye um, type character. That's an interesting. Well, what genre of film do you think this is? Well, so I think that it's a sci-fi thriller uh, type movie. I do think that I I think that it's about I think it's going to be like Contagion. I think it's about some sort of disease. um, And that is the the vehicle for the apocalypse, that uh, world that we're going to be immersed in. It's interesting because there is another Bruce Willis movie called Outbreak that is about a, a contagion. And that's I think not that's a the Bruce mo- Willis movie. Outbreak? Outbreak yeah. is a Dustin Hoffman movie. Um, Bruce Willis is 100% in Outbreak. No, he's not. Yes, he is. All right, wait, wait, wait. What are, we, what are we putting on this? I will put a coffee. I'll buy a coffee. Lame. I will put Firstborn son. I will put a special Game of Thrones beer. Ooh. That Bruce Willis is in the movie Outbreak. Okay. Okay. We'll get back to that in part two. No, we're looking it up right now. Are you kidding me? All right, so Wikipedia, Outbreak. And by the way, uh, I, I watched Outbreak like a dozen times as a kid, so you're fucked. Why did you watch Outbreak a dozen times as a kid? I just really liked it. I don't know. Does that have anything to do with your yeah, fear I think, of- Okay, so I'm just going to oh, run down I'm the- thinking okay. of a, All right, I'm thinking of a movie with Denzel and Jodie Foster, and I think it's called City Under Siege. I don't know. Let me tell you the cast of Outbreak real quick. It's got Dustin Hoffman. Morgan Freeman. Rene Russo. Cuba Gooding Jr. Patrick Dempsey. Donald Sutherland. And- a Mr. Kevin Spacey. 
what the fuck? Have I never seen this movie before? You guys just want to watch Outbreak instead? No. Yeah. I thought all the attention no. was going to be on I've me. I've seen it like a dozen and... times. Well, I had, to, I had to steal some of the first 25 minutes. I mean, I am here. It's true. Anyways, so another movie that Bruce Willis is in in that sort of era is Fifth Element, which also takes place in sort of futuristic kind of world. So, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I just picture his character being gritty, like a gritty guy. Gritty guy. Yeah. So, 12 monkeys, just the title alone. Mm-hmm. Why are there 12? Is it like a monkey of the month club? Is it like, you know, is there some sort of significance? I mean, the number 12 just seems significant. So, I don't know if it's going to be like an astral, astrological thing, um, denoting months. It equals one year. I don't know if maybe this movie will take place over a year. Um, I don't really know what else is significant about the number 12. Well, it's it like is maybe. sort of calendar-based, the September monkeys and the orangutan. Oh, fun. Spoilers, uh, Josh. <laughs> fun. You got any idea, like, what the timeline might be on this movie? Just like weird future. Okay. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it takes place in an, an apocalyptic future, not past, I guess. Right on. Uh, I don't think this is a period piece. So also with the monkeys, I feel like they're going to be either the cause or the solution to this sort of problem, whatever it might be. Now, how do you think the monkeys would be the cause? Do you think this is like a, a um, 28 Days 28 Later days scenario? Later. Maybe, yeah. I could definitely picture that. Or maybe 28 Days Later is a 12 Monkeys scenario. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, what else? Let's see. How might a monkey be the solution to the problem? Monkeys were kind of like an obsession of the 90s. Were like, they? I feel like in science. Oh, like that movie Congo? Congo. Oh my god, yeah, Congo. And, and Outbreak. Yeah. <laughs> There's an important monkey in Outbreak. <laughs> god- yeah. Wait, no, not Godzilla. King Kong? Well, Where Godzilla vs. King Kong, yeah. There you go, Godzilla vs. King Kong. Uh, fair enough. Uh, maybe the hot the, zone. Is there monkeys? Kind of freak me out. I'm not gonna lie. They're kind of vicious. They seem like they can be quite vicious. I bet that. See, I think they're adorable. Well, I think yeah. they're so cute. You heard about the chimp that tore that woman's face off, right? Nope. That happened so long. That is an old story. Well, but it sticks in one's mind, don't you think? Isn't this story? What I remember this story is like a woman had a pet chimp chimpanzee i'm sorry to all the chimps out there uh my understanding is this woman has a chimpanzee she has her friend over her friend i don't know does absolutely nothing and the monkey rips the friend's face off is that correct more or less yeah but i think the story stays in the news a lot too because that woman has now been the subject of a lot of cutting edge surgeries to try and repair her face ah i think mm. that might be part of it so erin yeah what else you got about this movie what do you think you're gonna see well, I know that Brad Pitt, I, I feel like Brad Pitt's eye is all messed up. And so I'm predicting that that is monkey related. Mm, okay. uh, I think maybe I don't. And again, back to the 12. I don't know how it would be a solution. Maybe it's like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. And then magically their powers combined will save the day. Although I don't necessarily think this will have a happy ending. We are in a post-apocalyptic world, so at the end of the day, it's still going to probably be shitty to live. 
Okay. By the way, the movie I was thinking of is called The Siege. It stars Denzel Washington, Annette Bening, Bruce Willis, and, and Tony, Tony Shalhoub. I've seen it. I've seen it too, obviously. I think my grandma gave me that DVD. You thought that was Outbreak? I. It's about shutting New York City down, except due to terrorists and not a viral outbreak. Right. Is there going to be a gizmo monkey? I don't know. Oh, so like, like a, eleven like of the monkeys character? are like uh, are, are like the gremlins, and then yeah. there's one good monkey that like hangs out with Brad Pitt on his shoulder. Or what do you think the relationship between Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis is going to be? So I feel like uh, Brad Pitt is going to be this crazy, maybe conspiracy theory dude that Bruce Willis is going to have to solicit help from and they're going to become um sort of a ragtag team that have elements of maybe being enemies sometimes um i will say that one of my hopes is that we get a fight scene between them or maybe a love scene i know that's far-reaching hope but that would be cool maybe didn't come out that long after interview with a vampire it's still pretty progressive that's a good point um which uh, i have a question uh do you have you seen the trailer for this? No, I really have no um, nothing. Okay, nothing. I, I tried to stay blind, and it's been quite difficult. It's hard. All right, Henry. Well, any any more predictions? I don't think so. Okay. Well, before we launch into this movie, I uh, <clears throat> I have to give you a second responsibility. All right. Today, you will be settling a debate. That exists between me and Josh. A debate that has ripped our friendship apart. It's taken us to the brink. We used to be friends, and now Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we are barely frenemies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is a debate. We're not going to tell you anything more for right now. I just want to say that it's about the ending. Okay. Obviously pay attention to the movie, but especially pay attention at the end. Okay. And that's it. It was communism all along, right? capitalism someone read a spoilers page it actually mm. turns out the whole thing is a dream and they're on it's a jacob's ladder situation they're on mm-hmm. the they're it's on always the, a jacob's ladder scenario which is actually uh i don't want to tip the hand that's probably a terrible thing to say before watching this movie blind it's not a jacob's ladder scenario so don't worry about that but uh yeah i wasn't I guess, worried if that's it you guys want to get started watching 12 monkeys yeah let's stop monkeying around guys hey <laughs> let's get right to it Bazinga. <laughs> All right, let's go. This is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. And so that's 12 monkeys monkeying around. But up, up, but up, monkey. Okay, Elliot Kalen. Oh. Okay, don't understand that reference, but <laughs> that's fine. That's going to go over a lot of heads. Elliot, you're amazing if you're listening. We love you, Elliot Kalen. So, that's 12 Monkeys. Aaron, what'd you think? I liked it very much. Woo! Very glad to hear that. Very glad to hear that. I know, because I know in the past I've disappointed you, Dave, and just like to say I'm happy that I can not disappoint you this time and for once enjoy the movie and it was terry gilliam wow i know that's not a wow i like him i know but i'm saying you know out of all the movies that you've watched for this podcast it's funny that terry gilliam was the one that you know no i mean it's not the one it's like 
the the misfit uh, the misfit boring. the misfit lays on font terrible director of like sort of overlooked uh you know this movie was not boring no it most certainly wasn't and we'll talk about that but first josh you terry gilliam super fan what do you think of this uh run through of one of his great films i've seen this movie we're in the i'm definitely in the high teens and it, and I'm probably close to eclipsing like the 20 20th viewing damn um, i watched it most recently this summer i introduced my girlfriend to it so i was ready for its what i find incredible rewatchableness because it is the type of movie that it, it it's a uh, got a mystery element to it and the more passes you get at it the more things the more easter eggs there are along the way that are really fun oh to track. absolutely i mean one thing right off the bat the scenes are so it's almost distracting i get distracted by how beautiful and intricate all the shots are how much is going on in the background that i feel like a rewatch would be very beneficial well, like totally, would... totally. And then there's fun things like I forgot that Chris Merloni is in it, and that Chris Maloney, Maloney, you know, it... Chris Merloni, he's his <laughs> drunken cousin, <laughs> who uh, I would like to uh, bring into initiate into the Hollywood Chris's personally. Love him. Yeah, sure. He can switch in for Chris Pratt. Nobody likes him anymore. Twelve Monkeys, the background. Now, the genesis of Twelve Monkeys came from when the producer of the movie, a man named Robert Kosberg. Uh, saw and became a fan of a French short film from 1962 called La Jetée. Interessante. Now, Josh, I believe you have something to add on this. Yes. I watched it last night. I um. did my homework. Uh, I had never seen it. So that was my better late than never. Uh, and I have to say it is a better late. Yeah? How was it? Hmm. It is weird as fuck. It is a very bizarre movie. I think it is from, I believe it's from 64. 62. 62. 1962. And it is not what we would consider a traditional movie because it is a series of, of photographs that are played in succession and a narrator speaks over them. And there's actually only two minutes of actual film where an actor is recorded doing a motion Well, anyway, um, so this guy, Robert Kosberg, liked La Jetée enough that he persuaded the film's director, a man named Chris Marker, to let him pitch a project based on it to Universal Pictures. They got Terry Gilliam because Gilliam was free because he just attempted to make A Tale of Two Cities and that had fallen apart. Yeah, this is an interesting one. He had this he pitched this Tale of Two Cities to Mel Gibson and Mel Gibson was on board to star in it but then got too busy directing his own movies and bailed. Ugh, and Gilliam replaced him with Liam Neeson, slashed the budget for making the movie in half, and no studio would touch it. Another notable thing about this adaptation is that this is only the second time up until that point uh, that Gilliam didn't write or co-write the screenplay that he made. And the screenwriter for this is this guy, David Peoples, who also wrote uh, the movie Blade Runner, which I think we can see a little bit of carry over there, certainly sure. in some science fiction-y aspects of it. And uh, the movie Unforgiven. Has anyone here seen that? I actually haven't seen Unforgiven. I also have not. Uh, well, it is a phenomenal movie, and I highly recommend both of you see it. But uh, one thing all three of these movies have in common, apart from being great, is that they're all 
a little uh, a little sad, maybe dark. Yes, you know, depressing films, but all very very good. So, uh, well, great his, job. And his wife was also a co writer on this one, Janet Peoples. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, after having made Brazil and what he'd gone through doing that, Gilliam insisted on having final cut for this movie. Yeah, <laughs> that he was ha- part of his contract. There was bad, a lot of bad blood with Universal regarding Brazil, and that was one of the the things that came out of it. Yeah, well, yeah, he got it for this one. Hmm. And um, lastly, Universal Pictures, it, they took a lot of convincing. They were still reluctant to make the movie, even after Gilliam got Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt attached. And it would seem that the reason Universal was a little gun-shy about making this movie is because they had just lost a shitload of money trying to make a little movie called Waterworld. Uh-huh, Waterworld. Womp, womp, womp. Didn't they have like a $120 million price tag? Uh, something like that. Oh, man. And it's so bad. I think it, when all is said and done, it maybe even did wind up making a little bit of money, but it was still at the time considered a titanic flop yeah unintended well <laughs> there was one thing about he got brad pitt brad pitt when he was hired for 12 monkeys was still a bit of a newcomer to the hollywood scene but i think in 1994 and 95 uh he had a string of hits like seven yeah, yeah. when did seven come out we'll get to that uh so Gilliam got a little bit lucky. He originally, this is on, I read this, he wanted Nick Nolte for the lead in this movie. Yes, he did. Which, I I think Bruce Willis is perfect. Yeah. Save that for the cast, because we'll talk about Nolte in a second. Let's start with- We'll circle back to that. I have a lot to say about these actors. We'll come back to that. Catchphrase of the the pod. Um, But uh, in seriousness, I do want to talk about Terry Gilliam himself a little bit first. So- um, Terry Gilliam, Aaron, as you correctly pointed out, he is a former Python. Uh, he is known, among other things. Let's see, Aaron, how much of his big films you've seen. So you said you saw Brazil. Yeah. Have you seen The Adventures of Baron Munchausen? No. Fisher King? No. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Yes. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus? No, but I have heard of that. Time Bandits? No. But, you know, Fear and Loathing, I can see that. It's also... I mean, this movie made me feel dizzy, like I was on drugs, and that's a bit like Fear and Loathing. Yeah. Well, what did, so what did you think of the directing in this movie? I thought it was so interesting. Um, again, I'm dizzy. I feel diagonal <laughs> right now. Yeah. And- um, Terry Gilliam is a fan of odd camera angles. Which um, I like. Particularly in this movie, anyway, the Dutch angle, which, uh, if anyone doesn't know, is when the camera is tilted slightly, so you're not getting a straight up and down shot, but like a a tilted angle on everything, and it gives everything a bit of a A surreal look and skewed, and it makes you feel a little psychologically unbalanced. Right. Or makes it seem like the character is. Right, and I think that he does use that uh, quite effectively. You know, you're so disoriented about what time it is, what's going on. He uses that angle so much, though. It's more, it's almost more noticeable when he doesn't. <laughs> and I notice he really does, especially with the psychiatrist character, all of her shots in the beginning are so straight on. And as the movie goes on, all of her shots become so much more Dutch angle. As she starts to unravel. Right. Yeah. And he- I do think it's effective, especially not just that, though, when you, the way he moves the camera. Yeah, it's never um, steady. Yes, there's so many 
times where something gets thrown into a wall and it's like you're getting thrown into a wall. There's a lot of excellent dolly shots. And yes. because Terry Gilliam is essentially a director who's also an art director, he, he really maximizes uh, the, di- the varying looks and feels of the different uh, locations and environments. So you get the very hyper-specific future world with their seemingly outdated technology uh, that looks also super space age at the same time. It's it's, And then you've got the present, which is really drab and bo- almost boring, but the 90s gray. Seem like the, yeah, very gray. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, no, but you're right, Aaron. He does make the 90s seem like such a, a hellscape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that, a horrible place. The parts of downtown Philly and Baltimore that are that are like filled with street gangs. and you Right. Know. Well, it makes you uh, sympathize a little bit with the guy who wants to just wipe humanity out and start things over for the animals, right? Right. Because mm-hmm. look yeah, at what we've turned the place into. Yeah. It's definitely a bit darker than I remember the 90s, but I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little more what the what they used to portray the 80s as being like. I <laughs> sort of feel like the 90s was starting to get cleaned up by then. Yeah, it's a 90s view of 80s inner city, you know, yeah. street violence. Right. But no, it just, uh, I really do want to emphasize how interesting I think his shots are. There's so, he, he uses so much geometry. Like, mm. again, I almost get distracted by just um taking in the shots i almost get distracted from the dialogue yeah he also uh josh continuing on our discussion from brazil a lot of technology on poles in this movie Mm -hmm. including that spherical tv oh i love that let's talk about that spherical item so he has a lot of spherical items and a lot of straight lines that he likes to put together and then for no reason at all one of the guy's faces his eye is has a magnifying glass over it like why i don't know it's just it's monocle. It's yeah. He said very specifically that he their effort was to make this not look like Brazil, but that ultimately it did look just like Brazil. I and agree. he, and I he was like, and I clearly like, the so, same guy. Yeah. He's like, we tried and we failed. It still looks like Brazil. <laughs> um, the critic for the New York Times, Janet Maslin, referred to Gilliam in this movie as employing what she called a junk heap aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which for I sure. really feel. In those future scenes, especially. Absolutely. This, I mean, everything from the styling to And all the, the technology music. feels like salvaged. Yes. You know, and slapped together. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. But the, that shadowy figure, uh, that sh- that board of shadowy figures, they're just so cool. Yeah. <laughs> like what they wear, their glasses. So many cool glasses in this movie. Yeah, and uh, Gilliam also does like a lot of matching of things in the past and in the uh, future in this movie. Like, uh, uh, there's the scientific board of the future are then matched with the psychiatrists lined up, and then like you know Cole's cell at the uh, psychiatric institute that he disappears from with the cell that he is then immediately dumped in the future. All this sort of like, of course it's disorienting to him because it's all basically right. the same shit, just different like there's, top layer of paint. There's so many through lines to all of these realities that he's experiencing. And that's done through those types of scenes um, as well as the music. Um, <laughs> I just feel like all the throwbacks to the music and some visual elements um, are really 
peppered in effectively to make me understand why, you know, he might be a little confused. Yeah. One I thought of my, that was really effective. One of my favorite tidbits is the intake procedures after he's gone out into the future world landscape where they're they're hosing him down with what you presume is like antiviral stuff. And then his intake at the insane asylum. Where yeah. They're just spraying him down with, oh, with water. Yeah. yeah. And you got a lot of Bruce Willis <laughs> butt in this movie. I was, I you know, I didn't get my love scene between Brad and Bruce, but. but both their butt. Yes. Yeah, I forgot that Brad Pitt's butt is in this movie, too. That it, I mean, there's Guys, a lot of dudes. They're both good butts, but I gotta say, Bruce Willis's butt might be better than Brad Pitt's butt. Just... At this point in their lives, maybe. Yeah. Yes, what, about to, what about today? What do you think? Oh, you gotta go with Pitt. Yeah, Pitt's, Pitt's keeping it tight. Um... <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna jump in and say so, uh, to something about the music in La Jete is actually not very similar to much of the so that iconic accordion riff that's played through most of this movie. I was gonna say it's weird because it's so French sounding. It's very French sounding, but not from La Jete. But the symphony, the string score that plays under the final sequence and under most of the dream sequences is actually incredibly similar to the score of that plays underneath the narration in La Jete. Ah, interesting. That's cool. But uh yeah, it's and there's a lot of great pop music. We got some Tom Waits. Uh I forget we got Blueberry Hill. We you get, get uh, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, Louis yeah. Armstrong. Uh one last thing I want to mention about Terry Gilliam, which I know we talked about in Brazil, but I want to bring up again here for Aaron's sake. Aaron, if you did not know, Terry Gilliam is rather well known for his disastrous productions. He's hmm. kind of snake bitten. Things just always go wrong behind the scenes for him, including on this production. So here's a few of the things that he dealt with making this movie, which, by the way, this movie for Terry Gilliam, relatively smooth. Shooting on location in Philadelphia and Baltimore in winter was fraught with weather problems. The filmmakers were not allowed to use sound stages, and therefore they had to find abandoned buildings or landmarks that they could just use. Hmm. There were technical glitches with all of the futuristic mechanical props. Because the film had a nonlinear storyline, continuity errors constantly occurred and scenes constantly had to be reshot. Terry Gilliam injured himself when he went horseback riding. <laughs> what? Yeah. Something Dave is quite familiar with. Yeah, as... I feel you on that, Terry. Excuse me? Do you have a story you want to share? I've shared it. We already drew it out of him on, a, on another episode. Someone doesn't listen to the pods she isn't on. We talked about it in Dune in the least listened to episode, but my personal favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and all that being said, um, Terry Gilliam did manage to bring the film in within budget and only a week behind schedule. Yeah, I, I want to just toss out some random Terry Gilliam factoids Please do. while we're on him. He lived, he got, he bought a house in France and then insisted it not have electricity for the first seven years they owned it. What? Yeah, and I don't believe that he <laughs> lived there for the entirety of the seven years that they owned it. I think he had a house in the UK and obviously he had to travel to the States for work, but he 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 insisted that he thought it was unnecessary to update it to modern technology. But then what changed after seven years? Uh, his wife probably was like, this sucks, Terry. What the, what the hell? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> a long... But seven years? That's a long... T I'm sorry, women? What? Women are always smart and better about these things uh -huh. than yeah, some okay. women yeah. psychiatrists. All right. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> he, he, this is a weird, random thing. He renounced his U.S. citizenship in 2006, and he's technically an expat. Yep. 
Because huh. he lived in the UK full time for, for 35 years and got annoyed that he still had to pay US taxes. That's valid. Yeah. So a uh, couple. Of, oh, also, he was supposed to direct a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> <laughs> I he would was, watch that. He was. Which one, one? The first. The one I think that eventually went to <laughs> Chris Columbus. Um, uh, I may be I may be incorrect about that. Internet, you can fact check. I probably me. even knew that and said that on the Brazil cast and forgot. So thanks S- for telling me. Again. Studios were afraid. So, so this is the strange thing because it is it is amazing that this movie, which looks really good, is uh, actually came in under budget in the nineties when thirty million dollars. That mean, was real was, money. It was more than it is now, but like now, your standard budget for a sci fi movie is over two hundred million. Well, that's if you're making like a fucking Marvel movie. Sure. Now, I'm not saying this has the uh, special effects of a Marvel movie, but it does pull off some pretty impressive stuff. Sure. Well, you are right, Josh. I would like to start talking about the cast. And I think we should start with Mr. Bruce Willis as James Cole. Uh, he was fresh off of doing Pulp Fiction. And yes, Josh, you were right. Terry Gilliam did originally want to cast Mr. Nick Nolte in this part. I get it. Really? Maybe do you? Uh, maybe a little bit old at the time, but Nick Nolte is grizzled AF. God you know damn what? it, now Catherine. That... <laughs> now I can't I'm... tell if I'm in the past or the present. Oh, God damn it. All right, yeah, sorry. no, I can picture him being crazy. Yeah, actually, you know what? His butt shots wouldn't have been as good. That's true. I, I One thing with that I didn't want to say in the first part was when you were asking Aaron what she thought of Bruce Willis. I wanted to scream the term every man comes to mind because that's sort of the standard that was set by Die Hard. And so he's a perfect like slot into this role of the every man, you know, prisoner of the future. Well, what did you think of his performance, though? All things said and done. I thought it was good. I thought he did a good job of being crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of subtle moves that I felt like he I thought it was I thought it was a good performance. I liked it. Me too. I actually what I wrote down. For him is that, you know, compared to the like sleepy eyed, checked out, barely caring Bruce Willis of right. modern day, he seems so engaged with the material. Like he's really trying hard and putting in real work with this role. If you compare this movie to like Looper, which I feel like you could make some parallels. <laughs> sure. Or even just something like Split, maybe, or mm. Cop Out, where he's just like, I'm here for my check, and then I'm going to leave. You know, he really seems like he's doing his best work in this movie, and it shows he does a great job. I have yeah, tried I, to I get so through too. Cop Out so many times, and because you're like, Tracy Morgan, Bruce Willis, directed by Kevin Smith, and every time I, I have to, I shut it off. Yeah, you're not the only one. Um, Madeline Stowe as Dr. Catherine Rayleigh. All right, so of course- there's just this hot, young psychiatrist character. Oh, you thought she was hot? Yeah, of course. She's quite an attractive person. I'm sorry, do you guys not find her attractive? I thought she her performance was fantastic. I didn't think too much about her looks, but she When she first came on screen, that was sort of what I was thinking, because I feel like there's always that kind of character. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I found her attractive. I they just... they introduced her the best way, the best 90s way with a, her beeper going off in a oh, car, yeah. and she's embarrassed in front of a group of people because she can't silence her, her like, brick-sized beeper that she carries. Yeah. Uh, I thought she was also good. She, she played, she had a nice uh, tone that one you know that a psychiatrist might have yeah and i thought her arc was really good too i i like how by the time she's buying in to cole's vision of the future at the end she starts to get really funny 
Yeah, she gets real crazy. Yeah, but like, you know, it's pretty hilarious. Like, you know, the like extent to which she's like even more hardcore than he is. It's like he's beating up the pimp and she's like, we need cash, Cole. Fucking yeah. rob him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I this Every watch of this movie makes me wonder why Madeline Snow so is not more of a household like Meryl Streep type. Name. It doesn't make she, any sense. She's, she's quite terrific. Yeah. And uh, I know she still is a active actress so yeah she was uh most recently on this tv show called revenge okay which i never watched but i think was relatively successful sounds like the slap (laughs) uh let's move on to bradley pitt as jeffrey goins now terry gilliam originally wanted jeff bridges for this role Hmm. I think that jeff bridges could bring something to the table absolutely i think the role would be uh very uh very different. I almost feel like he'd bring too much dignity to the role, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's hard to picture Jeff Bridges at this point as anything other than, yeah, come on, I'm gonna get on the road right now. Let yeah. me just play you a song. He, uh, I guess at the time, he, he's, it seems like an odd choice, personally, but they had just worked on the Fisher King together, so they were bros. Oh, maybe. Yeah, and Gilliam apparently didn't think Pitt was right for the role, but was convinced to cast him. I mean, ultimately. At the end of the day, it's a great casting choice. Yeah. Absolutely. You kind of, you know, I, I feel like I kind of forget how sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe animated mm-hmm. Brad he, Pitt used to be in his earlier work. And Ener- Yeah, he has a lot of energy. He brings a lot of energy. He did some very special. Manic, um, yeah, he did some very special uh, method, not necessarily method actor, but he apparently went and studied actual uh institution patients uh in, in uh, yeah, philadelphia that is that is true and um you know something someone once said about brad pitt was that um he's a character actor in a movie star's body mm. and i think that shows in a lot of his work his early work especially so right. and in you know in this one i love how he punctuates so much of his dialogue with these mass these wild hand gestures he's very yes. spastic yes yeah and twitchy <laughs> and his eye which they do never explain i was going to, i'm like did i miss something no it, they just his eye is okay and then not okay right well, you'll notice like talking about the movement when he's trying to pass as being recovered you notice he's much more still and like put together and it's only when that mask is slipping that his like physicality starts to twitch out again yeah yeah it's good work Absolutely. No, I, I think he did a lot of great physical acting. It makes you long for more Brad Pitt supporting stuff where he can just kind of be right. let, like let loose in a movie that he doesn't have to be the movie star. star so of. I'm sorry. I just want to clarify one more time. We do not know why his eye gets messed up. Mm-mm. There's no explanation. There's no Reddit thread theory about it. There's not even a Reddit thread it's theory just, about it. It's what? just people just forget. Maybe you've stumbled on something here, Aaron. Maybe uh, when he listens to this, Terry Gilliam will call us up and be like, "You guys finally cracked it." <laughs> Look, guys, the secret I, message I hid in this movie. I had to get a phone because I listened to your podcast, and just to be clear, I didn't have a phone. This is a special thing for me, but also, well, I mean, one. Thi- I'm sorry. No, was, that's nothing. <laughs> one. I mean, one thing, and this is kind of when. When you talk about time travel, which, by the way, I know we're not talking about the plot yet, but I love movies about time travel. Well, then you're going to love 12 Monkeys, the show, my friend. I think I will. I'm quite excited to see it. Uh, but maybe this is some – maybe his eye gets messed up in some alternate reality that somehow Bruce Willis's character has messed up the future. And now in this new future, he has just like a weird eye problem. Maybe. Josh, getting to something that you were talking about. 
So they cast Brad Pitt in this movie and they shoot the movie and they're putting it together and they're getting it ready for a release. By the time it was ready to be released in between finishing shooting and dropping the film into theaters, seven interview with the vampire and legends of the fall had all come out. So Brad Pitt had suddenly become an A-list movie star. With a lot of range, because all those characters are so Very different. Very different, yeah. So, yeah, they really uh, struck oil on that one. Absolutely. It's it's a... And, and he, to his credit, is is awesome in the movie. So yeah. it's not... I feel like Brad Pitt's success is earned from actual good work. Oh, totally agree. I agree. Yeah, no no, no uh, disagreement here. A few other actors I just want to point out, maybe talk about them a little less, but just mention them. We got Christopher Plummer as Dr. Leland Goines. I, I think, I kind of honestly felt like he was more just there to get a paycheck. I didn't really feel like he yeah, brought, a, Well, breathed. the thing is, originally it was uh, Kevin Spacey in that role, but when they had to replace him, they brought in Christopher why Plummer. Be, why was, was there uh, <laughs> some controversy? That is not, that's, listeners, that's not true. That's a joke about all the money in the world. Yeah, it was more a, a movie recently had just wrapped shooting with Kevin Spacey and then everything about him came out. So they're like, oh shit. Well, <laughs> reshot all his scenes with Christopher Plummer. And, and the see. story behind that was that Ridley Scott had apparently wanted Christopher Plummer to play the role the entire time because it was an older man and they had to like mm. age up Kevin Spacey. And the the studio forced him to use Spacey because he was a bigger name and would, they thought would move more tickets. But when... Yeah, he became a controversial public figure. Ridley Scott was like, guys, we can't do this. We got to bring Plummer back. <laughs> I see. I, I see. hadn't heard that part of the story. They, That's funny. They did extensive reshoots, but it, Ridley Scott ultimately got what he wanted. <laughs> so it all worked out great for everybody in the end, I guess. Especially old K-Pax. So, uh, <laughs> oh, K-Pax. What a wonderful movie. There's also David Morse, character actor David Morse is Dr. Peters, the apocalypse guy. Definitely. Uh, and he's playing a different character. I've kind of always seen him in like these military, army, Yeah, he always tough pops up in roles. stuff as a cop or as a- yeah, yeah, so it was fun seeing him as like the horrible, creepy scientist with the terrible- yeah. I always like seeing David Morse pop up. Sure. He's also very slippery. He has that exchange with her and then you kind of completely forget about him as a character. Oh, no. I'm like, this dude's weird. Oh, I definitely yeah. said that. <laughs> I I have to say I have to I, well my first few watch throughs I wasn't smart enough. It's to possible like. that women have stronger uh, antenna for creeps than you, Josh. <laughs> yeah, sure, that makes sense. That's that uh, might be true. Um, Christopher motherfucking Maloney Woo! doing Shut what he does out. best, playing a cop. These Absolutely, are gonna, and these are gonna get pretty annoying. But also collaborated with Terry Gilliam. In Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, didn't oh is he in that? that? I forgot he, that he was in that. He plays the hotel concierge uh, okay. at the second place that uh, Hunter S. Thompson jumps to. Uh, lastly, I would like to point out one of the biggest stars to appear in this film. And that is, of course, Bart the Bear. Excuse me? Bart the Bear. He was a very famous animal actor from the uh, 90s and early aughts. Okay. Anytime you see a bear in a movie during that time period, odds are good. Bart? It's Bart the Bear. Yes. Okay. He was the star of the movie Bear. 
Okay. Which was a great film. And he was in, uh, what was that movie? I can't tell if he's making these names up. No, the, Bart the Bear is a, re- he presented at the Academy Awards. No way. Do you have YouTube footage of this? Uh, I don't. But uh, I should have we'll, we'll have to look at it afterwards. Yeah. Bart the Bear is the fucking greatest. What and- about Jack the Bear with Danny DeVito? Is he also in that movie? <laughs> I don't know. But you will respect him. Right. I, I mean, of course I respect him. He could eat me alive. You're being very aggressive about this bear that <laughs> I loved Bart the Bear as a kid. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because I liked the movie Bear, and then I found out that the bear in it was named Bart the Bear, and I thought that was great. And then whenever there was a bear in a movie, I was always like, is that Bart the Bear? And it always turned out to be Bart the Bear. So as a child, you were sitting in movie theaters, watching movies with live bears, and then like- what, I, like, waited for, I waited for the down. cast list to come up, and I was like, tell me it's Bart, and it always was. Wow, yeah. that's pretty exceptional. Um, I'd like to say that an, a real actor who was in this <laughs> at the very end- Bart the Bear is a real fucking actor, is animal. Annie Golden, uh, who most people would recognize from Orange is the New Black, but who is a real longtime and incredible uh, musical theater uh, actress. And, oh, uh, yeah, that's- Oh, the cabbie. She plays the cabbie. a cabbie at the end. And I love her performances to me is very law and ordery. Like, she's very much mm, like- Absolutely. Like, I just kept expecting her to cap her thing with like, <laughs> yeah, the animals are really fucking up traffic. Can I just do my job now? Oh, yeah, I remember her. She looked scared of something. <laughs> Yeah, but she's uh, so quintessentially New York. Now, granted, they're in Philly at the time, but she's She was an absolutely New York uh, cab driver. Yeah. I would also like to give a shout out to Matt Ross, a young Matt Ross, who you guys might recognize uh, most recently from Silicon Valley, uh, but also from Big Love. And he's kind of been in stuff. Um, Yeah, so shout out to him. I've watched this movie so many times and did not put that together. So kudos to you, Aaron. Oh, thanks. Major kudos. Major kudos. You guys hear that? All right. Well, it is finally time to get into plot and to see how some of your predictions did. So, Aaron, um, you were correct that this does take place in a post-apocalyptic future, sort of. What do you mean, sort of? Well, it doesn't all take place in the future. Oh, yes. Sure. Uh, Brad Pitt did play a wacky character. He sure was wacky. That's why I asked with a messed up eye. That was one of your predictions. Yeah, because I feel like I weirdly remembered that in my like subconscious. Hmm. Good job. Understanding of the movie. Uh, Bruce Willis was not a rogue detective or private investigator, but he did have to investigate the past, and he did go rogue. So. Well done again. I guess half and half on that one. I kind of pictured Bruce Willis's Bruce Willis's character to be a little bit more that sleepy eyed Bruce Willis guy, even mm. the one that like you get in the Fifth Sense or not the Fifth Sense. Not the Sixth Sense. The Fifth Element. I definitely just combine those movies. Although there could be a maybe there is a uh, incredibly yeah. different. There could be a fourth element. Tones. There could be a third I smell element. Dead people. <laughs> I'm sure the some Hollywood producers are like M Night. We could do a million of these. I taste dead people. <laughs> oh my god! It's like the whole like Quiet Place Bird Box theory uh, but for ghost movies. Um, Aaron, you were right that there would be an action element to this movie, and that it was a sci-fi thriller. Mm. You were right that there was a contagion, and that it was about a disease. That yeah. was the vehicle for the apocalypse. Just 12 monkeys sounds... It's not for the right reasons. Like, I hear the name 12 monkeys mm. and I think disease. The 12 monkeys were not what I thought they would be. Well, that's the thing. So why <laughs> are there 12 monkeys, Erin? Is the number 12 significant? 
No! Why are there 12 monkeys? It's all a red herring. It's, it's yeah. all a red herring. Although, I do have- You were really focused on the 12 monkeys. Both yeah. the 12 and the monkeys. I was surprised by how much you were focused on the 12, to tell you the truth. Well, because it seems significant. It's no, like no, I know. 12 angry just... men, 12 monkeys. No, totally. Like... I just I feel like people tend to lean more into the monkey element, whereas you were more balanced in your approach. Oh, thank you. Sure. And in you... fact, now I'm upset I didn't think of- them being like a jury of 12 monkeys like 12 angry men <laughs> it's like planet of the apes there's 12 monkeys <laughs> yeah. deciding whether or not to convict bruce willis for some kind of crime <laughs> exactly that, that would i would watch that movie uh i don't know what i i'm not sure i think it's just com- a complete MacGuffin, and i think that's yeah i don't think oh, you're yeah. like the eye there's there's no explanation in the in the movie uh-huh in the movie there's no explanation Shh, spoilers. i don't want to hear any spoilers for the show because i'm quite excited to see the show now well, oh, you're also right. There's no happy ending. We'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the plot of this movie begins. <laughs> there has been a contagion in, starting in 1997 that killed 5 billion people. Only 1% of the world's population has survived and humanity has moved underground, surviving like worms. <laughs> he does say that. Um, we get this opening dream sequence where... Uh, Bruce Willis has this same dream every night. It seems to be some kind of memory from his past where he saw someone at an airport get shot and killed. Uh, then he wakes up in the shitty future, and uh, we are introduced to our very Gilliam Tech-heavy, very diagonal, crappy future. Oh my god, so diagonal. You know, it remi- speaking of, there was all that Frenchy music, and stylistically, too, it reminded me so much of... Um, that French director, uh, Jean-Pierre Genet. Uh, that's not the guy who directed Delicatessen, right? It is that guy. Oh, yeah. There's there's actually... Delicatessen, I did the time check on, and it's 1991. And it... So I wondered if this movie influenced Delicatessen, but it's got to be the other way. It's obviously the other way around. I think those two cross-pollinate a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Delicatessen, if you don't know... Am I mansplaining if I explain what it is, Aaron? Yes. Do you think you need to ask that? Yeah, but go ahead anyway. It's a post-apocalyptic movie, French movie, about an apartment building where the landlord runs a butcher shop on the first floor and kills humans to sell their meat to everyone else in the building. And there's a secret underground resistance that are vegetarian that are not just in conflict with this specific man, but everything, the forces that be that have created this post-apocalyptic above-ground world. What? Dude, the French love cannibalism. They sure do. And being underground. Yeah, that's they love mole men. So but they're, I was thinking just visually, style-wise. Sure. You know, but the there's, aesthetic. There's an element, and they and they probably, because this is the thing, that this is from La Jete, so it's possible, I think that rather than Gilliam borrowing or the writers borrowing from that movie, it's more that they're both close to their source material, like La Jate also inspired, I think, Delicatessen. Sure, sure. Anyway. Um, so Bruce Willis is given an opportunity to volunteer for a special mission. Yeah. And this is where we get our cool uh, TV sphere on a pole in his mm-hmm. face. Is it an opportunity in quotes? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, yeah, he's a volunteer, but they essentially forcefully drag him out of his cell. Yeah. And so... His mission is to go back to 1996. Well, no, at this point, his mission is just to go up into the above ground world and see what's going on. Oh, that's oh, right. Oh, that's, that's true. Right. There was yeah. that. And what is going on? Uh, it's a specimen. So many specimens. <laughs> it's a barren winter wasteland and animals are running free. He runs into a bear and a lion. 
Uh, and then he comes back and the scientists are like, hey, that actually went better than we expected. We have this other crazy thing that we want you to do. And he's like, I guess I have to because you'll kill me otherwise. Yep. And then, wait, what? Subtitle, 1990. Yeah. And so... This is the first of two shots that start with a painting and then mm-hmm. uh, la- a landscape and then z- pull the camera pulls back to a reveal, which I said in Brazil is a really, like regular terry gilliam interesting uh, yeah i move. noticed that nice camera pull, uh, that yes i also noticed that both of you uh <laughs> no but i did think that was interesting because they're always very straight shots too i always know i notice all yeah. the straight shots uh so now it's 90 and we actually are not longer with our character but with our uh our other protagonist yeah. dr rayleigh dr Catherine rayleigh who um is taken to see some psycho in the uh in the jail and um it's a very drooly bruce willis this is what i mean when i say he was very committed so to this drooly. performance it was so, so much, much drool. drool yeah it's one of the it's a guy i mean that's a tough scene to do too oh sure and he he acted the shit out of that scene he managed mm-hmm. to ha- both ham it up but also mm-hmm. it's quite believable yeah what he does a good job of is driving home, and I think this is something he had to do in the scene so that it would keep making sense as the story went forward, is how mentally disorienting the time jumps are. Right. Because if he was more put together when he got to the past, he might have been able to like blend in a little better and do a better job. We get, eventually, she, we sort of, C- Catherine Rayleigh gets him booked, uh, moved from the prison to a, essentially a mental asylum. Off to the crazy house. Where he meets Brad Pitt, Jeffrey Goins. Yep. Uh, who's been instructed to give him the lay of the land, and halfway through getting this lay of the land, he runs into what is probably one of the most memorable and yet brief parts of the movie, <laughs> where this guy in a tuxedo grabs Bruce Willis and delivers a monologue about how he's mentally divergent, and even though he knows when he goes to the planet O- Ogo or Ogon, it's not a real thing, but it is such a realistic fantasy that he knows he'll be cured when he stops going there at all, basically. And this becomes, I love this because this is essentially the framework for the rest of the movie, which is you, you have to sit back and decipher is Bruce Willis actually a time traveling <laughs> badass from the future who is doing productive work to? find a cure for this disease or is he just a real straight up crazy person so this is where the direct the directing style also sort of like terry gilliam is like the third character in the scene because he's also constantly cutting to the cartoons that are on tv mm-hmm. intercutting this monologue with bits of the monologue and then you see the tv and you see bruce willis and, it, and it's not like it jumps around from shot to shot quickly but there's a large number of them that keep you kind of feeling like what the fuck is actually happening here mm-hmm. and this is really where we get the the forest of dutch angles oh yeah <laughs> not a straight shot to be found during this whole section of movie oh absolutely all the every single one of the shots is skewed it, in the mental institution i'll also say that I, as much as it sounds like brad pitt did his homework i get the sense that terry gilliam just dreamed up what he thought a mental institution was like and I mean, said, it, put that together for me it was definitely one flew over the cuckoo's nest i feel like all oh, but of, even on worse. acid yeah like, oh on, yeah on, on, on acid yeah. i feel like all of the buildings in this movie are just way too big 
Like, the space is so big. They probably used a lot of abandoned warehouses and things. Well, and, I said that yeah, in the exactly. beginning, sound stages, but they just had to find warehouses to shoot in. Well, it's funny because I feel like in Brazil, it's kind of the same thing. I feel like a lot of, he emphasizes how big something is so he can emphasize how small something is, like that office. There, there's a lot of, like, but, mm, yeah. Um, but, yeah, even if you, I feel like because of that, you get this sort of Twilight Zone-y, uh, obsolete man episode. That's how I feel a lot of the times when he's showing um, the panel of people because I just feel like everything's so big. You don't feel – you feel like impersonal with the characters. You're not getting any kind of human connection. Right, yeah. You know, you're depersonalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and I feel like because the buildings are all so big. And with the scientists in the future, you get that effect too because mm-hmm. they're filtered through all the screens all the time. Which – is how we all are now. So kudos, oh. kudos, Terry. You really nailed it. You also, at this point, get an interesting element of what his mission is, which is that he's not in the past to save anyone. The yeah. future's written. All of these people, all the five billion people are going to die. The only thing he's there to do is collect data that can help them fight the disease in the future. Right. And then, yeah, so we kind of, again, on, with time travel movies, the rules are always different. Like, what can you do in this in this Well, and there's world. always a central question going in is is the future written and you're just like helping to feed it or can you break it right he they basically he breaks out brad pitt some comes out of nowhere with more exposition but then also somehow gets cole a key and cole even though he's doped up on tranquilizers basically starts stumbling his way out of the or not out of it but into other floors of the hospital and we get another kind of matching shot too where he looks at the mri machine and that matches the uh the the time travel device that like sends him back he looks at the security desk and sees the guard from the future although then it jumps to a guy who is not the guard from the future and you're left to wonder what was really going on right and he also eats a spider uh, he does eat a spider to try and bring some something back but then you know there's so much time passes after he eats the spider he must have digested that but that's one of my favorite lines in this movie that i'll say randomly and people will never get is the one when he's going back a little bit later one of the scientists says i've been thinking about the spider cole try to do more like that and i was like <laughs> <laughs> i guess i say like i've been thinking about the spider cole <laughs> like that makes no you just sound how like how is there anything left in his stomach for them to get and why did that benefit them in the future no one knows well but... it gives them an uncorrupted sample pre-virus to work with okay i guess that it was, was the, if he they it. wanted him to bring back something some organic material pre-virus so that they could like you know pull ideas and mm-hmm. you know antivirus ideas out of it and he brings it back in his stomach except for the fact it's sitting there for like 24 hours first it's clearly just poop by them yeah but maybe they're like we need those robust poops cole that's where that's how you're gonna get your that's pardon. what makes him so valuable to them oh yeah we should establish it is it is in the future it is established that he has committed a crime and is seeking a part like the reason he's so a good for crime is to get is to get a pardon so yeah he is reined in by security and then he wakes back up in the future back to the future and now he's really fucking confused yeah but uh you know he was so successful the first time they're gonna give him a second chance to uh go back this time so the idea had been to send him back to 1996 but 1990 was where he wound up he'd gone too far so they're going to give him another chance to go to 1996 and aaron you you pointed this out they're so hilariously judgy of him for like their own mistakes. Oh yeah, everyone. Like it's funny. All like, 
they're very judgy in general, like the man, quote unquote. Yeah, both in the past and the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Cole doesn't have to worry because this time they're going to send him back to 1996 right on the money. For sure. They're very- Definitely going to do that. We got it this time. Totally confident. Uh-oh. It's World War One Now, this is embarrassing, but what year, do you, what year is that? 1904? It's 1914 to 1919. Okay. And they say the bullet is from the 1920s. It's really so really embarrassing. Yeah, you yeah. should be ashamed of yourself. I am. I am. And the American educational system. Well, hey, I mean, we have, yeah. This isn't a political show. <laughs> Come on, folks. <laughs> um, so, you know. So, question. Do you guys think they are actually just really bad at this? Or are they just intentionally sending him to the wrong place well it's like they say in the future you know science isn't an exact science with these people yeah mm-hmm. and uh, they fucked up sending his friend jose back he's in he's in world war two world war one as well I, yeah it feels like for much longer too he gets like enlisted he has a uniform on like he's in it and a face full of mustard gas yeah uh, i i think it's one of those i it is not touched upon hugely but it does yeah they don't really seem to know what they're doing they the time travel apparatus is you know inexact is is still pretty rudimentary and they haven't i I get the sense you get the sense that they haven't like tested it with a lot of subjects uh because they talk about the very first scene of the movie how people keep going and never coming back so you know not a high success rate do you guys think they can send people into the future that's a great question. They do in the movie La Jetée, but uh, it's never addressed in this film, so yeah. we don't really know. Once you introduce a time machine that can go into the past or the future, it gets real messy. The other question is, do they make a mistake? Because what they do is he goes into World War One somewhere between 1914 and so 1919, and then get boomerangs, in that photo. and he boomerangs straight to 1996. He doesn't come back in between. He also um, couldn't have, uh, like... I don't think that Catherine would have been as easily convinced if he, she didn't see that photo of him in World War One. Yeah, that sets up those the events that lead to her finally realizing he's not. I think it's a genuine mistake, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's well. Anyway, well, David Peoples, give us a call. Let us know, buddy. I'm just introducing that as a possible idea, but sure, I, sure. I agree. I think it probably is just them being really bad at time travel. So we're back in 1996, and now we have Dr. Rayleigh giving a lecture on what she calls the Cassandra Complex, which, does everyone here know about the myth of Cassandra? No. Not well, the myth. Well, it's kind of a myth, kind of from the Iliad. It's my favorite of the Greek myths, and the story goes like this. <clears throat> Cassandra was a Trojan princess, and Apollo fell in love with her, and... Uh, he showered her with gifts because he wanted to get it on with her. So he gave her like all sorts of cool stuff. And the greatest gift of all that he gave her was the gift of foresight. He gave her the power to see the future. But when all came to be said and done, she still rejected his advances and said no. So he was like, well, fuck you then. I'm taking back your ability to see the future. But then he realized once having given it, he couldn't take it back. So he decided, you know what? In that case, if I can't take it back, I'll just poison it and make it so that you will always know the future, but you will be cursed never to be believed. Which and is pretty badass. Badass? Or I mean, horrible. just like horrible. Right. And so when the Trojan War starts and you get the Iliad and the Odyssey, so Paris comes back to Troy with Helen and she says, 
don't let that bitch into the city. If you do, the Greeks are going to come and they're going to destroy Troy. But everyone's like, shut up, Cassandra. You don't know what you're talking about. The war starts and, you know, things are going great until suddenly there's a wooden horse outside. And she's like, do not let that horse into the city. There are Greek soldiers inside that horse. If you bring the horse inside, they will kill the guards on the doors, open the doors. The Greeks will come in and we will all be killed. And once again, they're like, we don't believe you. (laughs) And so they bring the Trojan horse inside and the rest is history. That actually makes that connects some dots because it's always been a sort of jokey thing. Like how could how stupid could they have been to bring the horse inside? But it makes a lot more sense if it's contextualized by saying Mm. there was a person there whose curse it was, was that they wouldn't listen to reason about this type of thing. Sure, but anyone else could have thought about it themselves. Her curse was just never to be believed when she said it. Well, but by her knowing that and saying it, then no one, then by nature of the curse, no one else can believe that it's a real idea. Like, if someone else had the original thought, would they then believe them? I think so. But I'm saying that the way that it seems the curse would effectively work would be even if they did for a second have that original thought. If they heard as soon her as she, Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. All right. So you would need someone who wasn't an earshot when she yeah. said that. But uh, that's pretty cool. It's a great story. It's, I love it. It's so tragic and horrible. It like, and it it's is amazing. And it is certainly like, applicable to this film where in the end, nothing, like they don't succeed uh, because- well, She's the, scrambling at the gate trying to, trying to finger the actual- uh, the actual executor of the virus. But I want to say, I'm a little bit surprised Apollo didn't just turn into a sheep and have sex with her like Zeus would have. Yeah, I know. It's much more clever that way. Zeus really had it down. Wait, sorry. We just like bounced back and forth between the movie and the. I got really confused. Well, Zeus, I don't remember Catherine well, like, turning. was always getting laid by turning into animals. All Zeus had to do, like Apollo like tries, like, you know, showers her with gifts, gives her a, a, a magic power. Zeus was like, hey, I just turned into a goat. Did, this this is gonna happen, right? Goat doesn't work. Does a swan do it for you? <laughs> like so many, like Hercules is the son of Zeus. Well, he was like he turned into something and 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 slept with a mortal woman. Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, even Helen, Helen is yeah. uh, you know, he banged Helen's mom in the form of a swan. So Helen was uh, she came out of an egg. Any really? Yeah, big egg. Anyway, oh back- yes, that's true. That's mentioned in Lita and the Swan. Yeah, yeah. in um, uh, Orphan Black. They talk about oh, that right, too. the leaders. So yeah. back to the movie. So so <laughs> yes. we are now. So we see uh, Cassandra, uh, or I'm sorry, Catherine, really talking about the Cassandra complex. Which I make that slip up because in the TV show they change her uh, name uh, to <laughs> Cassandra Rayleigh. Big spoiler. Not a huge spoiler. Don't worry. Okay, about sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, I keep wanting to call her Cassie too. Yeah. Um. But anyway, we get the the car kidnapping where she uh, yes. starts her buddy buddy comedy road trip with Cole. So Bruce Willis is <laughs> back in '96, the right year, and the first thing he does is kidnap the, the the psychiatrist he met several years earlier, which he claims was an accident. He's like, I just saw this flyer in the window. That's why I'm here. No other reason. And then she finds there's a voicemail. Uh, the cops are investigating her missing persons and their uh, her coworkers playing back a voicemail that's like, Dr. Rayleigh, that crazy James Cole came here looking for you. So uh, <laughs> you probably, probably want to look out for him. So it's this weird thing where, I don't know, I, I guess you're supposed to be sympathetic towards Cole, but he's a real dirtbag. Sure, although you also kind of get him at his most sympathetic in these scenes because, and this comes back to Bruce Willis being so engaged in this role too, him just like sticking his head out the window to breathe the air 
and loving that there's music, all these things, you know, clean air to breathe and music to listen to, things he hasn't had in 30 years and just his like childlike joy over it is really, uh, it's really beautiful. Yeah. And he's starting to, it seems like his brain is starting to get better at the split between being in the present and and being from the future because she asks him a lot of stuff and he just keeps saying, no, no, I'm not going to talk about that because you wouldn't understand. Whereas the first go around, because he, he sort of seems to have learned that right. the more he talks about it, the crazier he's going to sound. Or at least don't rant like a drooling psychopath. Yeah. yeah. But to be fair, he's not on drugs this go around. So he's also, the first time mm-hmm. he's in, he is constantly doped up. True, 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 true. So they road trip for a bit and they hear about uh, this this boy in a tunnel, which, uh, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. worried about this boy down a well. Very big 90s thing. Sending our love down the well. I was, <laughs> yes, I was wondering, like, how, why, is, why are there so many wells still in the 90s? Uh, so is this, this is uh, the party, right? They, he crashes the party? Yeah, yeah. At the hotel room, he gets turned on to the, uh, the connection, potential connection between uh, Brad Pitt and the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. And they also uh, they take a moment for her to remove that World War One bullet from his leg, yeah, which is important. And then they go to the fundraiser, yeah, where you've got spiffed up rich Brad Pitt. Uh, he goes to the fundraiser. Yeah, she, she has to hang in the trunk. Well, she is in the trunk of the car, but the movie leads you to believe that he's viciously mauled and and killed her. True. There's um, so many almost rape scenes between them. <laughs> I know that's why it's like that is something that I guess the audience of the '90s maybe is not thinking about as much but it, yeah it's it's creeptastic yeah and although i do kind of like her reaction that uh, when he finally springs her from the trunk she's super pissed that he'd gone to a party yeah you went to a party without me yeah dick and she kicks him in the face which he he deserves i mean he's he has, he's put her through a lot he's been pretty he's been a bad uh partner in this buddy uh psychiatrist patient road trip indeed but he splinters back to the future and uh, she winds up with the police, and she's interviewed by Chris Maloney. 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 God damn it. Chris Maloney's drunken cousin, Chris Maloney, <laughs> <laughs> interviews her about what's going on. Uh, and she, upon getting home, finds out that, much like Bruce Willis had told her in the car, the kid down the well was just playing a prank. He'd been in a barn the whole time. And she gets a phone call. They're like, hey, we ID'd that bullet. Pretty strange. It's from the 20s. <laughs> yeah. Right. And didn't then it after the 20s. that sparks her to go start flipping through some photos from World War One that she had. And lo and behold, there's Cole and, and his friend Jose. And if you have been playing along, and this is the thing you get with maybe if you're smart on the first watch if if you're me later watches is you realize her whole entire lecture was about jose right well no. jose was one of jose, the examples that well, she yeah. gives right yeah. all these these probably time agents which i do want to get back to in a minute but can yeah we just take a second to recognize how horrible it would be to out of nowhere get dropped into world war one in like the shit naked oh, yeah. Yeah, also, uh, World War One is the worst war, by the way. So this, definitely, this, and naked, this, and you're just like, what is happening? This made me think a lot about how we, why is it time travel and nudity such a thing that goes hand in hand? Because like, <laughs> you know. can't travel with your clothes. Only organic material. But like, how Aren't long was organic material Jose there? We don't know. Uh, the other thing I wanted to just toss out though is that uh, uh, Jose is one of the examples that she gives. The one she gives before that is someone who claimed in i believe she says in ancient egypt that was uh, a horrible disease was coming in about 600 years 
And prior to his first jump, someone says they have to coal. They say that you have to be really careful. Otherwise, it might, might accidentally drop you in ancient Egypt in or ancient some Egypt. shit. Exactly. Ah. So, no, so, she's and then, been tracking these guys unknowingly throughout history. And then, of course, when we try to talk about the complexity of time travel, are these things, are these time jumps a, like part of the circle of time, right? Like, are they needed? Maybe. You know, this movie suggests probably. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also it's around this time we get uh, while they're mucking about together. Uh, Bruce Willis says uh, famously, <laughs> all I see are dead people. All I see are dead people. Sorry, and you're like, <laughs> I mean, a very strange, a very strange Shyamalan coincidence. Yeah, yeah it definitely sure. influences the fifth sense or whatever it is. That no, I don't think later. we're at that part yet where he says all no, I see are dead they've people. They've met the three other time. They've... That's when they're in the hotel, I thought. No, no that's when they're um, they're fighting uh, the other 12 monkeys oh, people okay. before Brad Pitt's okay. there. Yeah. Gotcha. But I mean, to him, they are all dead people. These are all right. people who he can't save and are going to die of the virus. Right. right. Which, again, goes back to the whole you can't change the past. Even right. the, even when you're trying to change the past, that then becomes part of yeah. the past. And then your mind explodes. What's yeah. kind of cool about this moment that we are at, though, where she is finally coming to realize that he's been telling the truth the whole time, is that back up in the future... He is now flipped around to seeing it her way and thinking that he's actually crazy. Yeah. Which is fine. Ugh, it's so inconvenient for them, though. And it's the second time we get a painting uh, opening shot. So he, after he's splintered, he wakes up in the future and you see, uh, I think, a beautiful skyline. And then all the doctors start singing Blueberry Hill and all creepily like a, come into frame. It's yeah, so it's weird. a beautiful landscape. That, I think, was the weirdest, most kind of Brazil-y part oh, of the yeah. movie. Oh, yeah, very pers- surreal. Yeah, uh, personally. It's like his hospital bed. I mean, I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing to think about in the future. It's like, we want to make this human being feel super comfortable when they wake up. So let's grab a Monet and hang it above uh, mm-hmm. and let's make that the, the hospital bed. And it's also one of those things is like if you were a crazy person and you uh, really thought you were starting to get grabs your sanity, then waking up it back in your future world would absolutely wreck you, right? Like you'd be you'd come back convinced you were absolutely crackers, and yeah. he does, yeah, like he does, yeah. So he winds up going back to see her one more time. He thinks he's crazy. She th- their positions are now reversed, where he thinks he's crazy and th- she thinks that he's been right all the time. They retire to a uh, love motel to try and work things out, and they get attacked by a hilarious pimp. <laughs> yeah, he, it's it's very fantastic. And Bruce Willis just, I mean, he's like about to brain the guy with a, uh, with a rotary telephone. Well, yeah, and she stops him, though. Why? We need cash, Cole. Yeah. Oh. Rob the guy first. Also, and we kind of jumped over because it's not too crucial to the plot, but he has murdered people earlier in the movie. Oh, yeah. Which she was way more upset about back then. Now she couldn't give a shit less anymore. Yeah. Because she is untangled. She's she's, uh, diagonal now. Also, you'll kind of notice that her hair starts to become a little bit more wild Mm -hmm. the more uh, unglued she becomes from the reality she thinks she knows. And Bruce Willis has, this is when he, so he- the way you know he's actually kind of turned another corner is he takes the guy into the bathroom we're sort of supposed to believe that he's slashing the guy up we get a great shot of the guy in like he's thrown the guy into the bathtub and he's like the fuck are you gonna do to me you fucking crazy dentist something like that bruce will slams the door and then reopens it and he's covered in blood and Cassandra, uh catherine is freaking out and he's just ripped out his teeth ladies and gentlemen he's just pulled the teeth out of his head 
because he believes that's how the scientists in the future are tracking him. Well, that's because of Bo- uh, the Bob guy, yeah. who's another very important time agent that is like with him. Is he? We didn't talk about. He's he. Well, he's right about the tracker. They were real trackers. Or no, they're not real trackers because Jose is like, you started ripping out your teeth. Yeah, well, the thing is, we never know if that character is is real or just a voice in his head. Maybe Bruce Willis is real and crazy. Uh, She sees the homeless man, but we don't really know. It's like, okay, so listeners, basically, they're at several crucial points in the movie. Bruce Willis hears a super creepy voice that sort of, you know, prods him about about the time travel in the future. And then we see a person who has the exact same voice who's a homeless man who Bruce Willis is like, you're you're the guy. But then she runs in, oh, right. she runs into him and he's like, I have no idea what you're fucking talking about. Please get away from me. And so and then there's the fat guy who's also and the- he the last time he hears the voice, he opens the door to the bathroom and it's someone completely different, I- implying that it was never a real thing at all. And right. I would say it's you know, his voice from the future, but probably not. Maybe Bruce Willis has an element of actually being crazy. Reddit, start a thread about it. We need some Reddit theories. The, and so, uh, Cassandra, that guy actually had a big wad of cash. So, Catherine and uh, Cole go to a department store where they buy disguises. And Cole realizes this is the same building that he did his very first uh, above ground exploration in. Yes. Mm-hmm. They also decide to test the uh, phone number that he's supposed to call to send messages to the future. So she goes to this kind of th- th- this like kiosk device that has like a-, a wired cell phone in it. Yeah. And she like puts money in. I, I don't know what you call them. It's one of the weirder. Ana- oh, a payphone. Oh, that's what they're called. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and she leaves a message. And as it turns out. They get the message. Yeah. Uh, which is a nice moment because we've actually already, the scientists have played it back several scenes earlier and she runs up to Bruce Willis and is like, I left a message, but it's cool. It was just a carpet cleaning service. I said something really outrageous. And then he says it with her in sync and she's like, what the fuck? How did you know what I said? Yeah, <laughs> rut row. Although at this point, she's pretty on board with the whole, oh, there's sh- a horrible, fiery future. Yeah, basically that was their last gasp at trying to maybe hope that they were crazy and that it wasn't going to happen, but that's the last moment where, no, it's all real. Uh, On the flip side, though, this is where we discover that the Army of the Twelve Monkeys isn't what we thought they were. No. Brad Pitt and his boys kidnap his father, and he's all like, it's too late, I've already changed the codes, you can't get at the virus. And they're like, we're not after the virus. What are you talking about, Pa? We're just going to open up the zoo and let all the animals out so that they can die horrible deaths on the streets of Philadelphia. Now, they're making a pol- they put him in a cage of the zoo and it's supposed to be a grand political statement. But yes, and you're I don't know why you're adding that level of realism to a movie where Bruce Willis travels through time. But <laughs> I just feel bad for the animals. Well, you know, the police are going to overreact. Suspend your disbelief and assume that they're all fine. Assume that there was a really good handler. OK, I mean, look, <laughs> that was able to a bio- poor giraffes, well, rest, and elephants. rest easy, David, because a biological plague is about to sweep five billion people off the earth in the next David- he doesn't I'm give a David shit about the people. Movie. He cares about the drafts. So I apparently is Terry Gilliam. I pulled up a pretty cryptic quote he said about Twitter, how he thought that Twitter would lead to like the culling that would wipe out humanity. Uh, probably right. 
Anyway, mm-hmm. so they get in some. Uh, we get a little allusion to La Jete where they watch a, ver- a scene from Vertigo while putting on some uh, fantastic disguises. Yeah, they're lying low at a twenty-four-hour uh, Hitchcock marathon. Doctor Rayleigh decides <laughs> to buy them tickets to Key West, which has been a, a reoccurring thing about going to Key West and traveling to Key West. Another like through line yeah. in all of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they head to the airport and it's off to the races because this is both the end of the movie and where Dave and I's large, uh, disagreement, disagreement begins. begins. So we're, uh, we're almost there, listener. Before we get to that, I just want to point out another you say listener. Like there is one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that feels about accurate. Actually. Well, no, if someone's listening to a podcast, it's not like they're having a party with multiple people over there. If you're listening to this now, I assume you're, you're sitting alone in the dark <laughs> or on your commute to work <laughs> waiting for that hot pocket to finish or at the gym or getting hosed down at an insane asylum intake mm. the most likely scenario for <laughs> your your fan base after listening to a few podcast. hours of me talking yeah <laughs> so um no the, uh, another little bit of time travel is us getting to see all the way back into the 1990s when they would let some guy with uh unmarked biological samples <laughs> yeah. just waltz through <laughs> security like that i mean i think that was a stretch even for then but they looked like bombs i mean there's there's a probably a, a, also some suspension of disbelief but i understand i mean i had a relative who once told me that like airport law was so lax he once just shoved an eighth of weed in his sock and got through security and didn't and wasn't worried about it interesting well Damn. he also he's like let me show you my crumply papers oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yes it's all in order all in order <laughs> look here well there's also oh all right so we're so while they're they head to the airport david morse who's christopher Plummer's as- assistant is there with a suitcase filled with uh all the viruses so the the plague is caused by this crazy guy who has shown up once or twice in the movie so far. And he, so he's the 12 monkeys. He's, well, he's not, because, but yes, he's the plague. He's the harbinger of death. And he uh, wants to wipe out humanity. He buys tickets all over the world. He's going to release the virus in all these different cities. And within a few weeks, everyone's going to be dead. Now, can I ask, because this is your first time, did this, how was this like, oh, yeah, that makes sense? Or was were you surprised? Or To be honest, I, I thought it made sense. Yeah. That guy definitely was creepy af in all his other scenes um he did not seem like a normal just like joe schmo character i was like this guy is creepy he seems like the type yeah yeah uh and uh yeah the the air the air uh plane uh she's like the attendant is like uh yeah, huh? San Francisco, London, Morocco, Beijing. Well, they actually call it Peking, Steve. which is a little weird. And she's like, "It's gonna, it's gonna be Peking. all in one week." And he's like, "Yeah, business." It's like also a pretty funny line. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. It's like um, you would be like, "Uh, it doesn't matter what your business is. This is fucking crazy, th- sir." But uh, meanwhile, uh, Cole and Rayleigh are thinking we're just gonna get on our flight and get the fuck out of here. But who should show up? But Jose and Jose first uh, dresses uh, Cole down for trying to think that he can escape from the program. And he's like, no, 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 you got to you got to keep doing doing work for us. Gives him a gun and gets him back on track with no explanation. Uh, also, I'd just like to say, what was Bruce Willis's plan that he was going to be in Key West when the virus hit? And then, yeah, that's it. Just spend the rest of his dead. Well, he's immune, we think, because but I guess they don't really explicitly ever say that. And also maybe they can stay isolated there. Okay. Um, Okay. 
but the there is a Jose is like, yo, man, you did it. Why are you fucking up so much at the final moments? Here's a gun. I'm gone. Oh, and oh, by the way, if you don't do what we want you to do, which we're not going to tell you, we kill her. And then he vanishes. Yeah. Uh, so Bruce Willis, he tries to get at the guy. He bursts through security, but he gets shot in the attempt. And we have now come full circle back to the beginning of the film. We see young Bruce Willis watching himself die right in front of his yeah. eyes. Did he, I'm sorry, Grant, did, did he not think about that when he was going to the airport? Like, huh, this seems so, so much like. Well, he did. He kept getting creeped out by all the similarities, but I guess it didn't occur to him that the, it could work out that way. There were several Especially times. Especially when she was, she got, she went to be blonde, Catherine. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on. Well, here's my take is that this is he has a few moments of this. I've got a bad feeling about this, but she shakes him off of it. Now, I'm not blaming her, but my my thing is that this is the logic of time travel. You can't change the timeline. Mm -hmm. So he as a child saw himself die. And then he has to die because it doesn't make he can't and that change probably that outcome. Messed him up. That's probably that's my that's my theory as to why he is so violent and messed up. Yeah, totally. He was like he, he, and then also the world ended. Right, but I mean, it implies that some people weren't assholes, and you know, he's in jail. He's in future post-apocalyptic jail. Like that's got to be pretty bad. Um. Yeah. So, but after he is taken down by the police, and you know, we have this very strange series of eye contact shots between child Bruce Willis and Dr. Rayleigh where you're where first she looks like quite quite uh quite sad and then quite happy yeah you're like why are you happy this is happening um and uh someday little boy I'm gonna have sex with you (laughs) um off camera unfortunately and uh we think we think we we don't know and uh probably during that 24-hour Alfred Hitchcock marathon they went to that's why the audience members around them were so upset yeah so then we cut to the airplane, and... Okay, so, Aaron, here is where you come in. This is the end of the movie. Yeah. And this is where Josh and I's opinion on exactly what happens diverges. So I'm going to say, I'm going to describe the scene, and then we're going to turn to you to settle this once and for all. We both enter divergent realities. I feel like my answer is going to be, like, it's the end of Inception, where the Don't say it yet. stupid little toggle does well, it. All right. So... David Morse gets on the plane. He's made it. He's done it. He's he's got his his box full of aerosol cans of poison. <laughs> he's already released it. Yeah, he's already released it in the airport. He sits down, and who should be sitting next to him but one of the scientists from the future? Who maybe is Catherine? That'd be fun. Sorry. I my assumption is that Catherine dies in the plague, but whatever. Um, he takes a seat. She's reading something about how all this horrible stuff happening. No, shootings she, at the airport. She, she, says, she doesn't have to read about it. It just happened at the airport. She's like, isn't it terrible these days? Shootings even at airports. You would think that we were the endangered species. And he gives her a very like, you know, loaded <laughs> look. He's like, I think you're right. Then she reaches out her hand to shake his hand, says, my name is Jones. I'm in insurance. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts away to young Cole. So. What do you think that scene meant? Dun, dun, dun. Okay, well, clearly future doctor lady or whatever um, was able to come back maybe 
Okay. Just listeners know Dave is shaking his head, and we will. I will keep going, Aaron. Keep, 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 uh, keep uh, interpreting. You're, you're, you know, just keep. It's like jazz. Just keep going. Okay. So I mean, all I'm saying is that it it's the same aged woman as we see in the future. So my assumption is that she has also time traveled herself back. Now the reason for which could be one of two things or many things, but two things come to mind. Either she is ensuring that the future will happen or she is then able to, um, because of the information Cole gets, she is able to then um, kill him and save the world. It's one of those two things. I, 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 I don't know. Boom, 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 boom. Yes, got your last. Well, Aaron, I think you're wrong. <laughs> Dave's got some egg to wipe off his old well, face. Well, I'm certainly what open. Actually wait, wait. What, I, what I'm saying is that is my initial reaction. I'm certainly happy to hear an alternative. I'm here to hear all the sides. Well, Aaron, let me tell you what actually happened, which is. Um, that so might have actually happened. He sits down and next to him is Jones, the scientist from the future. But. To my eyes, she looks a little bit younger and a little bit better than she looks in the future. And my read on the situation is that she had been sitting next to the man response. She who is in charge of this mission to desperately try and figure out how to get a cure this whole time. She actually was sitting next to the guy responsible from the very beginning and never knew it. And it's just this horrible, ironic coincidence that we see at the end. And like, you know this person who winds up in charge of the mission to try and save the people in the future had actually just been sitting next to the guy responsible right when it happened. And we're just meant to be like, Oh my God, like one more twist of the knife in this time travel story that has a sad ending right there at the end. I would. Okay. So horrible irony. You think it's horrible irony. I see. Well, I would just like to, I would like to see still shots of this woman in the past and in the future. Cause this is 30 years yeah, now, mind you. She's old. She's not it's a like, young, she would be Catherine's age. Yeah, Cole goes from eight to 38 in the time, but she would be going from like 40 to 70. Old people don't change their look then. I think Are you theory, kidding me? I There's this, such a difference between a 40 year old and a 70 year old. Yeah. I'm picturing it Well, she looks it like younger she, on the plane. I, oh, she just looks more put together because we've. Because it's not a horrible yeah, post up She's not underground. Thing. I mean, I think, I think it's just. Cole complete. doesn't look any better in the past. Cole still looks like shit. But the scientists. So, a couple of things. I think that we are supposed to also understand that the scientists are getting more uh, accurate with the time travel. That's why Jose shows up at the right moment because there is the mm-hmm. great they have this great exchange where Cole says, but I just left that message. and He's like, yeah, they just put it back together. And here I am like, this, well, but don't they you- had 30 years that they have the entire time. You can just leave that message anytime. But they could have dropped have her two weeks before she could have dropped been- Jose a year before. It doesn't yeah. mean they're getting more accurate, but they just know wait around until that day and then go meet him. This is what I was saying earlier. Why I dropped this quote, because this is exactly what Cole said was supposed to happen. He said, I can't save you. I am simply gathering information to help people in the present follow the path of the virus. He specifically says at one point, I'm not supposed to stop anything. They're going to send a scientist back as soon as I find out where the virus actually happened. And that's what we're seeing. Okay. I don't, what line is that? I No, he does, he, he says, says that, that he's going to send, they're going to send a scientist back several times throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, so here's, uh, uh, talking about how 
the future is, un- is already written. So he has to die at the airport in the gun shooting for her to be able to spark up a conversation with the guy. And uh, there's also this great moment where she says, Jones, and there's like a huge pincher pause. And then she goes, I'm in insurance. And you're like, no one asked you w- what you do or why. So I feel like that's also supposed to indicate like she's got a script that she's following. But maybe that's just my. Well, no, she's just talking to the guy next to her. And that's the natural opening. Line. That like, might be reading oh, yeah. in a little, but. Okay. My name's Jones. I'm in sales. I'm with what about you? you. I'm with you all the way up to that point. Well, my, my thing is your theory is that this insurance sales person discovers time travel 30 years later i'm saying she's it, just it's, part of the ruling council it, later it, it's a cover i think she's a scientist she's a scientist you they're all be, scientists you can be a scientist in insurance what Dave, are you how are you many like, real estate agents do you, or i guess are you pulling a john Kerry and saying you can have a bachelor's in the arts in political science no i'm saying like if you're working for an insurance company you have to have people with certain like qualifications in order to come up with your estimates on what things should work out to be she could be incredibly good at math she could be incredibly good at some kind of science she could be incredibly good at like biomed stuff so that they know how to insure people with like health problems properly someone who's very good at math professionally is a mathematician sir i will i will not back down on that well i mean to be fair i mean it's like the uh, edward norton character in fight club he's in insurance but um, like yeah, he's doing and also math. she's had 30 years. Maybe she taught herself science in between because she was desperately trying to save humanity. And in fact, if you think about the insurance agent that uh, Edward Norton character's character is, he assesses damage. And so it's kind of interesting that she would be someone that would be assessing damage. I'm sorry. This was a friendship, almost friendship ending uh, argument. We do not. I'm. I am. Uh, as of right now, it is. A friendship I. Ending I argument. have a high. I highly value Dave's opinion in everything, and I had to rethink that when the day we started talking I'm so, about this. I'm so upset because I really thought Dave was not going to be disappointed in me this this podcast episode. And you broke it, Aaron. You've broken God everything, damn it. Aaron. I think this is your strongest. You're going like five for five, and you've hit for the cycle on this one. So let's talk a little bit about how this movie did. <laughs> You're just going to move on from that? Show me the evidence, Dave. Show this me the movie, still. Well, I think I think that the only other thing I'll say is that Terry Gilliam intentionally wanted it to be ambiguous. So sure. so it is an ending that you could interpret it could be interpreted Dave's way, it could be interpreted the other way. I don't think Gilliam talks specifically about how he wants you to come away with an opinion but not necessarily write you know, have the writing on the wall as to what the specifics of it are this movie had a budget of 29.5 million dollars would any of you like to take a stab at how much it made at the box office i'm so bad at this i'm not good at math i should not be an insurance um a hundred thousand a hundred million dollars i researched it so i think it's something in the mid 50s this movie made 168.8 168.8 million dollars oh my god that's Goodness gracious. that's massive in 1995 big hit big hit um brad pitt won a golden globe for best supporting actor and was nominated for mm. best supporting actor at the oscars he did not win he lost to kevin spacey <laughs> For the usual suspects. Wow. Ah. That's an I didn't realize Kevin Spacey won an Oscar for that movie. I didn't realize that either. Yeah, it seems like a, a, a reach. <laughs> yeah, same. So in terms of what people think of the movie, 
On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 89% from critics and an 88% audience score. Uh, I often find there's kind of a disparity between those, but this is unusually uh, synced Hmm. for a movie. That's great. For reviews from the pros, here are some positive reviews. So once again, Janet Maslin of the New York Times. There's always overripe method to his madness, but in the new 12 Monkeys, Terry Gilliam's methods are uncommonly wrenching and strong. Hmm. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone said, Bruce Willis gives an eruptive performance of startling emotional intensity, which I think, Accurate. given our discussion, yes, we all agree with. And then lastly, James Berardinelli of Real Views called the movie a consistently engaging motion picture. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very, very <laughs> good. Uh, on the negative side, Richard Corliss of Time said, in its frantic mix of chaos, carnage, and zoo animals, 12 Monkeys is Jumanji for adults. Ooh, I, I, if that's a negative thing, I think that's... Yeah, that kind of sells it to me, too. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm surprised that Jumanji predates this movie, because hmm. the effects in it seem better than... Well, I guess this they just used a lot of live animals. It's got to be right. It must have... I mean, it was probably a Similar fresh... Yeah. It was yeah. probably a fresh comparison at the time. Susan Stark of the Detroit News overwrought yeah you know if you're a a passionless person who doesn't enjoy engaging movies i guess uh lastly just a little bit about the legacy of this movie there was a lawsuit that came out of this movie so at the very beginning of the movie cole is brought into that interrogation room and he's made to sit in that chair which then like takes him up the wall some way and then that tv sphere comes and like gets up in his face the architect lebius woods sued universal about this said that it was ripping off his uh architectural work the neo-mechanical tower upper chamber and that it, it wasn't used with his permission he won interesting yeah and uh it, as part of his lawsuit uh he required universal to remove those scenes from the movie but um ultimately they managed to work it out where he let them keep the scenes in the movie but they had to give them a whole bunch of money that would have been obscene if they couldn't use any of those scenes and i don't understand he claims he came up with the idea of a tv sphere or i mean i guess just whatever i think in fact uh the filmmakers have admitted that they were inspired by this architectural work whatever it was well sure but being inspired by an architectural work and then doing art direction based around it seems pretty fair game because you're aren't you in the realm of satire at that point you're not here they're not selling in order to be like well, I think people. you mean parody. I mean, there yeah. you have to change it in some way to make it your own, and it sounds like they ripped it too much wholesale. Mm, interesting. Like it's too much exactly the thing. Uh, okay, but more importantly, what is this architect's yeah, name? Because so I would like to follow his work. There's Lebius Woods. There's Levius a room with a chair Woods against the wall that rises up to 25 feet. That's. I mean, that seems a bit crazy. That's a real thing. Okay. I'm Either gonna, way, I'm gonna I'm gonna look him up. Yeah, check it out. And then lastly, this movie ultimately inspired a TV series called 12 Monkeys. It aired on Sci-Fi, starring Aaron Stanford as Cole and Amanda Schull as Dr. Cassandra Rayleigh. It ran for four seasons from 2015 to 2018, and it was fucking awesome. Yeah. I'm so excited to watch it now. I what highly enjoy. recommend you check Where it out. Where can I stream it? It's a weird one. I think you might actually have to stream it on sci-fi. Although it was on Hulu. I binged it on Hulu. I don't know if it's still there, but if it is, go check it out there. Cool. 
Well, so anyway, so that's all that. I guess we're now here at the end. So, Erin. Yes. What did you think of 12 Monkeys? I Like I said, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, really just a fun watch. I really enjoyed. I'm so engaged with the way um, the way it was directed. I'm a little annoyed that The 12 Monkeys has nothing to do <laughs> with the movie. I do not know why it's called 12 Monkeys. That's a little infuriating. Uh, I would love to hear some alternative titles. Like, I don't know, Don't Trust a Creepy Man. But do trust a creepy bald man. Right. Yeah, it seems like the less hair, the better. I'd say I'd call it When in the Trenches. And then that's it. That's it. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, Insurance. The movie. Um, Okay. So, yes. uh, But definitely uh, really enjoyed it and very excited to uh, watch the series. This type of movie is really up my alley. Um, I really like complicated time travel-y storylines, honestly. Right on. Well, in that case, we come to the final question, Erin. Was this movie better late than never? And by that question, what I mean is that this movie fills some kind of essential viewing slot in your movie watching history. Whereas never, it means that if you go the rest of your life without seeing this film, that's just a-okay. Definitely better late. I mean, it's no Back to the Future 3, but... (laughs) Ouch! (laughs) Just kidding. See what I'm dealing with here, Josh? (laughs) Back to the Future 3, the weakest one of the bunch. This is why I never have Aaron on anymore. The best Well, one. it does have Mary Steenburger. She's terrific. Steenburger? Is that how we say her last name? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that wrong? Anyways, uh, definitely better late. Right on. Josh, you're our Terry Gilliam super fan, but uh, despite having seen this a bunch of times, do you have any... Any thoughts on seeing it this time? And it's totally a better late. And it's also, I quad, I said that I had qualified thoughts about Brazil, but I think 12 Monkeys is a movie that anyone can enjoy, which is why it made so much money. Even though it's a little bit cerebral, I think people, if you want an indoor to Terry Gilliam's career, this is the best, the best way or place to start. I am just so glad I'm here because I love this movie and it was fun to watch it again. And I think you could uh, do that a little bit more on the pod, not necessarily with me, but with other guests, because it's 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 a real joy to be able to like wax on why you like something. Revisit an do old you, favorite. Yeah, well, revisiting it, do you feel like you noticed anything different or like new about the movie? What was it like for this rewatch? I because I did one in this over the summer, Recently. it was a little bit less revelatory. Uh, I I guess let's see if I could come up with one one thing that struck me this time that hadn't struck me before was the the beeper really like mm. stood out. I know I, I talked about it earlier. The 90s miss. Yeah. And I think. I, oh, the only other thing I want to say, too, is finally watching La Jete. I I'm a little bit sad that studios don't do this more regularly, which is find. Uh, you know 40 year uh 30 years in the future i mean they pull a movie from the 60s and say hey we actually want this could be something and this could be something bigger than it was when it was originally made and we could do it you know expand the universe on it and so i think it's cool that the creator of logite was like that's fine and even though the studio may have been hesitant i don't think we get to see a lot of that these days i think i think we're living in an era of either huge movies or uh indie movies and not a lot in between and not a lot of like ideas that are sort of 
riffing on, you know, something very cool from 30 years ago. So, you know, you're getting a lot of straight up remakes and not a lot of like something new that is inspired by old material, mm. which was the Shakespeare method. Mm. Cool. Cool. All right. And then speaking just for myself, I mostly agree with Josh. For me, this is a movie that I think is very good, although I don't think I go so far as to say I think it's great. I do like it a lot, but I don't think it's super essential viewing just from my perspective. I do, however, very much agree that if you're looking to get into Terry Gilliam, this is an excellent entry point. Hmm. It's kind of one of his more conventional movies in a weird way, even though it's not in itself very conventional. Hmm. It's But it's it's a good way in if you're looking to check out this director. So... Definitely a movie worth seeing. Definitely a movie that I like. And it held up on the rewatch. Could be a little bit shorter, maybe. But still, very, very good. And that show. Oh, my God. Definitely check out 12 Monkeys, the TV series. Really if you can. to just go bananas on that show. Oh, yeah. It's, gonna, it's great. And that's our show for today. So, if you would like to contact the podcast, please hit us up over email at betterlate.com then never pod at gmail.com or over twitter at better late underscore pod please like and subscribe on itunes because that really helps the show and uh other than that you can go to hell i'm just kidding i love all of you listeners out there listener <laughs> i love you listener turn on the lights and get outside once in a while you need that vitamin d baby all right catch you next time <laughs>